Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Coleman, back in the safe house, on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. What's going on with you? Uh, you know, I've had, I've had better weeks, Manny. Um, how are you? Uh, I'm all right. I, uh, uh, you know, we're gearing up uh, for the stretch run of the campaign. Okay. They pushed, they pushed the election back, was, which, which was perfect for me. Huh. Uh, because uh, I uh, was so busy there for a second that I didn't have time to focus mm-hmm. on uh, some of the things I wanted to do. And, and now I have uh, uh, some time now to focus on uh, um, uh, some fundraising and uh, getting, getting, getting the word out to the people and right. uh, you know, getting in touch with the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, sticking it to the people, sticking it to the people, mm-hmm. certain people, you know, sure. <laughs> certain people. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so it, it was, it's been good. And, uh, uh, um, you know, I haven't had, uh, you know, I, you know, the only thing that's fucked for me right now is that, uh, you know, I went through that whole first week of school where all the fucking kids came in and, uh, they moved in. And they had that first week of school where they're signing up for classes, they're getting their books, they're dropping classes, returning books, you know. And then after five days of that, they were all evacuated out because of the storm, because of Idaho. Uh-huh. Idaho. Right. Um, and so you you still they had ordered the textbooks, but you they hadn't you hadn't given them to them yet, right? I've given a lot uh, hundreds of thousands of books I gave out. Oh, okay. All right. Week. And some of them came back. But here's the deal now. Since that was by fifth day of school, it was like, oh shit, the storm's coming. We all got to leave, and we got to get rid of all these kids. So they, all the ones who were living on campus, they shipped them to Houston and all, all everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so now, it's what two and a half weeks later, or something like that. It'll be three weeks, right? And then what happens this weekend, this coming weekend, they're all coming back. So it's basically going to be rush all over again mm. because. There was so much that wasn't done during those first five days of school as, as far as professors and instructors getting their materials together and students waiting for materials, students ordering materials, all this stuff. So I'm, it's, it's, it's like rush times two now again. I just oh, went through it three weeks ago, and now it's going to happen again. Uh. So it's got, they call it move-in weekend. This weekend they're calling it uh, remove-in weekend. <laughs> oh, you know? So, it's, so I, it's not going to be as bad – I don't think mm. um, because, uh, well, just because I, I don't want to get into it. It's kind of boring. right. But yeah. yeah so uh, other than that, the last couple of weeks have been fine. You know, I didn't have any damage. I know you went through a lot of shit and you're probably still going through it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Still, still grinding away day by day, you know, uh, get, get some things done and discover other things that you didn't even know were, were an issue. You know, I, I was having this tree cut, uh, on my uh, one of my properties yesterday, and and uh, as I'm there, I notice a, a board on the 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 back deck that's kind of uh, rotting, and uh, you know somebody could step through it and hurt themselves. So I went into the the utility shed to get a piece of plywood to cover that with, so nobody could hurt themselves, and discovered that well, every piece of wood I picked up in the utility shed was full of termites, and in fact. <laughs> 
so is the entire utility shed oh, so God. full yeah, well, of live termites i was I was trying to pull this uh this uh hollow core door out that was obviously you know compromised and the thing there was so little left to it, it was just basically like two pieces of uh, veneer <laughs> just full of a termite nest that was falling oh, apart in my hands yeah. uh, <laughs> well you know so you didn't uh, have you gotten any help from FEMA or anything like no, that? No, well I was I was asking you know we we register for FEMA and we have a, a number and everything. Now, you know, again my I didn't apply for a, a tarp on my roof cuz my roof can't take a tarp, but you know, I have all these uninsured losses, all these, you know, uncovered losses and you know, I, I don't want to talk about it to you on the on the uh, on the podcast, but you were saying that you actually did get uh, you know, some money from FEMA already and I want to want to get some details about that because whatever you're doing uh, seems to have worked better than well, what I, it what was I did. Basically what we did was we, we, we filed for, you know, cause we had a little bit of roof damage shingles and some tree debris and stuff right. like that. We filed and they denied us. And then they said, because you already have homeowners insurance and you don't have that much damage, they denied us. Hmm. And then we've been waiting three weeks now for our insurance company to send someone out to look at things, you know, and yep. still nothing. They haven't showed up. And, um, and, and then all of a sudden, like a, you know, last week, FEMA says, well, we think we're eligible for some money. So they gave us some money. They so, contacted you? Uh, yeah, just, they con yeah, FEMA contacted us. Well, huh. Marion, my wife's been doing the whole thing. I, I, you know, I, uh, sure, yeah, yeah, I figured that. And the cool thing is I found out there, I'm getting a trailer. I'm a trailer. A FEMA, FEMA trailer. <laughs> what are you going to do with that, man? <laughs> I'm going to rent it out to someone who needs it, I guess. I'm going to park it in front of my house. Are you serious? And just call it Party Central. Are you Maybe serious? Maybe we can start doing the podcast from there. Okay. Well, that's that's <laughs> sure. Sure. It was man. like, you know, I didn't order one, just like in Katrina. I didn't order a trailer, but they said, Mr. Bruno, Mr. Chevrolet Bruno, Mr. Manny Chevrolet Bruno. Uh, I, I was in Austin and they said, uh, we have your trailer. What do you want as a party? Jesus back, Christ, man. Hey, back oh. then I said, no, I don't want a trailer. <laughs> I, I don't, I didn't order one. And the same thing this time around, where, where do you want us to put your trailer? Now it won't come for two months because they haven't even really manufactured a lot of these trailers. Uh -huh. And since uh, I'm geez. in Orleans Parish and there's other people who need trailers more than me. Yes, you know, but you don't need one at all. Yeah, I don't really need one at all. <laughs> Just yeah. like uh, you know, if you were still smoking crack, it'd be a good place, like a good little crack hangout. You know, like to right. go in if there. I, and, and I, if, if I was still a pimp, sure. Good, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. If I was still pimping, right? And doing my yeah. porno. Yeah. It would be a. It would be a good <laughs> yeah. thing. But, good location, uh, sure. Yeah, good location. The right. Lab. All right. Well, I gotta. I gotta get in on this FEMA thing, man, because I, I definitely have a lot of uh, a lot of damages. I could use some some uh, some. Yeah, some, some help. You know, uh, and and the longer you wait, you know, it's not going to be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll get on that. Well, uh, you know, so uh, I did have an interesting thing come uh, that I discovered recently. You'll be interested in this. So uh, the whole time that we were on lockdown, nobody had anything to do. We're just sitting on the sofa. Uh, the stalker, my stalker was, was uh, not to be seen. I figured, well, you know, she has all this time on her hands. You know, I'm, I'm surely going to hear from her. And she was quiet as a mouse the whole time. Well, she's quiet no more. Uh, yeah, she, yeah, I haven't. I don't. Yeah, this was like what a hundred shows ago. We talked about this. I, yeah, I yeah, yeah. And she was, yeah. she was. You know, she's she's cropped up every now and then. Well, she's she's back in a big way in the last month or so, man. She's she's uh, in full bloom. Crazy, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I got a I got a choice one here. It's uh, I mean, it, you'll you'll say that doesn't make any sense, and you'll think this is out of context, but they're all out of context. It starts off, if you'd like to give me the address to write the denials to dot dot dot. My neighbors remain under the understanding that I have a restraining order that says there are certain number of emails. As it turned out that you were able as a group to get me unable to enter over 10 restaurants, all but one I'd never been to before, and that one only to pick up a takeout order, none of which have the same owners, and I have never ever been asked to leave a restaurant or bar before, and never told not to come back to one. And I was told by all that a specific celebrity on the list Wendy gave me was who told them to do this. Perhaps you could get some neighbors to rant as they sit nearby or fuss as they pass me in the grocery store. What's the address he wants the email sent to? I have sent the requested emails to other people as y'all deem fit, sirs. <laughs> what the hell is going on? What is that? I know, I know, I know. And then there's some more like that, but this is another uh, type that, that she sends. And this says, the, the heading is email one. And, and they'll, there's like 11 in a series. They're all identical and all sent, you know, within a minute or two of each other. My neighbor yells until, until 10 emails. I am tired. I didn't know that's why he was yelling periodically late last night. I have never met you or anyone else famous. I don't know you. I have never blah, 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 and goes on. And then there's, there's uh, you know, nine more like that until we get to ten. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, it, it, it's, you know it's, it uh, snaps you out of the boredom, you know, of having to deal with things, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, it sounds kind of nuts that it's been, what, over, it's been over a year or so? Since oh, you, well, yeah. I mean, she started this way back in the early days, man. I mean, early day. I mean, this has been going on for over three years, Manny. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I could, I, there's a lot of questions I'd like to ask, but I don't know if you want to answer them. You know? Well, I mean, the, 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 the answer to all of them is, I don't know. You know, I, 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 I took the girl on, on, you know, one date when we were 16 years old, it ended early. I brought her home. Uh, you know, I saw her when she came to one gig after that on the, on the, the West bank on the, the river one time came and said, hello. I said, hello. I don't know. Wow. Yeah, because I really don't find you. I mean, I, I find this amazing because you're really not that charming, if you ask me. Yeah, no, I, I don't get it either, man. I, 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 you know, it's 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 beyond me. You know, it's a uh, look. This this whole thing, you know, the the pandemic, the the you know the the coming out of the pandemic, the back into the lockdown, the hurricane. I mean, this this all feels like you know one slow moving wave of of uh, what's the word um, of uh, um, morning. That's what it is. Yes. Yes. Where, you know, we're all going through different, different levels of, of, you know, do you know where this person lives? I, I do not. I, I know where her, her parents' home was, but I don't think she lives there anymore. I don't know. It's kind of one of those gray gardens looking, uh, houses, you know, it hasn't been repaired, but I, I think she may live somewhere else. I, I don't know. I do not know. Well. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll keep the uh, Troubled Nation apprised of the developments. Yeah, there. please do. I'm sure they're very curious to hear all this. But right, right. I, I'm just curious to, uh, uh, to know why uh, 
she uh, she thinks that you have put all these uh, barriers and blocks with people and stuff all against her. Right, you, I know. You've done none of that, right? You have done well, none of that. I mean, I've done some of it. No, no I've, done, <laughs> I've done none of it. No, no. I know, but she says she can't go into a restaurant because of you. Because yeah, no, a, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that doesn't, you know. No, no, yeah. I haven't done any of the, of the stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but uh, yeah, how, how could I do any of that? It's, it's insane on its face, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's all ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> well, anyway, I guess you know, uh, it, it could be worse. I guess that's the point of this segment is, uh, you know, whatever problems you're dealing with with the storm, you know, if you still have your faculties, if you still have some tenuous grasp on reality count your blessings because uh, not everyone is operating with that now now manny i, I uh, uh there was something that i wanted to ask you about last time and i forgot and then i it totally slipped my mind did you have a uh, a manny for mayor fundraiser this weekend no we canceled it okay because i know you had postponed it from a previous weekend and i thought it was rescheduled for this past one but i guess no we had we had canceled it because since i'd postponed it because of the storm a lot of a lot of the people who were supposed to be a part of it couldn't make it. So okay. now since they, like, this is what I was talking about earlier. Since they pushed it back, we're planning, uh, me and my number two, uh, Mr. Christmas Club Clemens, mm-hmm. uh, we have decided to try to get it bigger and better. Okay. So do you have a date? Well, no, that's the thing. I want to talk to you about it maybe after the show or tomorrow or something like that. We're trying to, right now, number two is trying to set up the venue. Mm-hmm. And once we get the venue and a date for the venue, then I'm going to start inviting everyone who wants to participate to be okay. a part of it, nice. to be a part of it. And that way we'll, we'll be able to have, uh, you know, uh, t-shirts, uh, bumper stickers, okay. you know, and, you know, strippers have a big and, blowout. Maybe we can uh, yeah. do a podcast from, from the, uh, the fundraiser. Well, that, that, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's an idea. Yeah. That's yeah. a very good idea. Okay. And, uh, so, since it got pushed back, it was kind of, like I said, it was kind of good for me. This way, it gives us a little bit more time, and I'm actually uh, uh, having lunch with my number two tomorrow to see what he's come up with. Um, you know, because he's a bar owner, sure. he knows all he knows other saloon owners all over the city, oh, yeah. and uh, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, hopefully, maybe by this weekend, I will have a uh, venue and a date, and uh, we'll go. We'll take it from there. Nice, yeah, uh, the yeah. Trouble well, Nation and, and the people, the voters of New Orleans, just uh, you know, just sit tight. It's going to happen, uh, and, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Nice, and uh, you know, and you'll see the people will see because I haven't seen a lot of my constituents in over the past. You'll see how much weight I've gained. Okay, because <laughs> I've been pretty much a vegetable, a couch potato. They'll see that you know I was like 140 pounds when the pandemic started mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, and. Right, and, and now I'm like 240 pounds. Wow, okay. <laughs> you're like you're like five seven, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm five seven. If that, so you'll see the the the, the, the weight gain because wow. you know the, the the pandemic. You know, it just made you sit at home and be a couch yeah. You, you can't you can't uh, go work out in the ring room like you I were can't, able to. Well, yeah. it's kind of here and there and stuff like yeah. that. You know, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, do this, don't do that. Right, it's confusing. Know, I, I know it's, it's exhausting. very confusing and. I just pretty much I feel sometimes like uh, John Belushi as Bluto in Animal House. I'm just sitting on the stairs, pouring <laughs> mustard on my chest. You know? <laughs> you know? 
So, uh, uh, you know, it is what it is. And, okay. Uh, but I'll be, I'll be happy to see anyone. I'm not going to be standing much, so I'll be sitting most of the time. Sure, yeah, like a, in a big wicker chair maybe, since yeah, you have so much weight. Chair. Like wear a white, a white suit, that would be good when you gain all that weight. You know, it's a good, like, tropical weight, uh, white suit for the, for the fat heavy right. in, in the movie, yeah. you know. And uh, I, will, I, I will, you know, people can feel my triple chin. Okay, <laughs> for a dollar. Able, for a dollar, that's part of the campaign, <laughs> fundraising. Yeah, part of it all. But listen, let's get to our guest. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, we've yeah. Been yeah. Talking a while, and yeah, he's, we have. He's exciting to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's let's get right to him. So uh, he's a he's a terrific saxophone player. He's a uh, known as a go-to saxophone player, tenor saxophone player, a soprano as well. He's also an arranger, composer, band leader. So he plays everything from modern jazz to R&B, uh, funk, soul, country. Has spent uh, years out on the road with the the great Sturgill Simpson, and and he's he's has a, a very exciting career right now. But we'll get to all that without further ado. The great Mr. Brad Walker. Welcome, Brad. Renee, Manny, what's up, guys? Hey, how are you? Thanks Doing for great. being here. I I feel bad listening to y'all's conversation because uh, my house was embarrassingly fine over well, here good. in Gentilly. No, that's it's better. We don't. I don't want everybody to have my problems because the more people that have my problems, the harder it is for me to solve my problems because there's a limited number of people out there that can do that. And so, you know, the more roofs are busted, the longer it's going to take to get a roofer. I'm glad you don't need a roofer. That's a good point. I'm glad you don't need. Well, I'm doing my part. Yeah, there you go, Brad. Did you ever get your stump grinder? Yeah, 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 yeah. The guy came out, he, he ground the stump, uh, you know, he, he broke the water line in doing that. It was a whole thing. I had, it was, it was during the, the Nicholas uh, deluge a few days at, it was last week, and I uh, had to get out there and try to repair the water line in the rain, ultimately gave up and uh, picked up a, a stray plumber at the plumbing supply place. He came over and did it in the rain in an hour, charged me $65. That was a happy ah, day. That was a, okay. that was a win. So, you know, I was thinking last week when you said stump grinder and I was, I, I thought, I thought to myself, my, you know, uh, my, one of my ex-girlfriends back in LA, that was her nickname for my penis. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. All right. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, Brad, yes, welcome to the show. You know, we've we, uh, been, been wanting to get you on for, for a long time. Thanks. And I, 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 we, we must have met some somewhere before, but the, the time I really maybe first played with you was uh, with John Papa Grow, former guest of the, of the podcast, John Papa yeah. Grow, when he put on his uh, tribute to Dr. John a few, a few years ago, and he had uh, uh, you and, and the, the great trumpet player and and uh and so we got to we got to work on all that terrific material together and you know i was so impressed what a what a beautiful tone you have crisp sound uh, great time uh handsome lad yeah. as well that, that was a really special night i remember that really clearly yeah man was, that was a great material and a great band now let's let's uh so you're not from new orleans right you you uh are from north carolina yeah, I'm a country boy. I'm from I'm from outside of Hendersonville, North Carolina, fairly close to Asheville. Most people know where that is. Okay, um, it's kind of up in the in the Blue Ridge Mountains. 
Very much well, so. Yeah, we're kind of down in the in the valley, Mills River Valley. Um, okay. Which no one had ever heard of uh, who didn't grow up there until uh, uh, this Sierra Nevada Brewing Company opened their second location. So now all the Sierra Nevada bottles all across the country have Mills, Ro- Mills River, North Carolina written on them, which, okay. which never Is that tobacco to country? It was, yeah, for sure. Did you smoke but at more 12 small years farming. old? What's that? Did you start smoking at an early age? <laughs> Don't tell my folks, but I did smoke as a teenager. But uh, I'm fortunate that at some point something just clicked when I was in college, and I just quit and uh, and and never never went back to it. I, I tried one a year after I quit, thinking I would love it, and I hated it, and I haven't had one since. Oh, good, good for you! For you. Nice. That's blind that's luck, really. And how old are you? I'm 37. I turned 37. Oh, you're just last a week. Kid. Yeah, you're just oh, last ago. week. Oh, yeah. two weeks ago. Sorry. Like. Happy birthday! My my uh, birthday yeah, was last week as well. Oh, happy birthday, man! Thank you, thank you. Um. So uh. So. And you from- know what Renee got for his present for his birthday? He got a stump grinder. Yes, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what I got. <laughs> got my stump ground, Manny. <laughs> and yeah, it was worth a- it. It was worth the wait. Um, yeah, I got a hurricane for mine, so. Uh, sure, 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 and it was delicious. Um, it was delightful. So, uh, so I got a restraining order for mine. Yeah, well, that's 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 pretty much every week, right? Um, uh, so, so Brad, uh, how do you start playing saxophone there in the in the 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 valleys of uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains? What, what yeah, possesses you? I was thinking you? about that today because it's it's been so interesting to learn the legacy of 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 New Orleans music and and so many musicians who come up in musical communities and musical families. And I, like a lot of small town kids, I think, I mean, I, I no one in my family really played music. Both my uncles are pretty good singers. Um, but, but, you know, I just started in, in middle school band cause I had a bunch of friends join the band. That's it. You know, um, sort of lucky that that program was offered at my school and that I had a really good, uh, teacher, um, who then, uh, you know, we just sort of discovered that I had a, um, a love for it and, and, and enough of an aptitude to get me into school for it when I went off to college. Um, and luckily I went to school down here. So I, I got, I got a chance to get sort of exposed to and immersed in the, in Louisiana and New Orleans musical culture, which is very right. different than North Carolina, but. Well, now, Brad, I'll tell you to stay right on that mic because you have a very understated, uh, almost a subtonal vocal style that you're employing yeah, right okay. now. I so, can do that. Uh, use the big boy voice, and you know, so to, you know, you talk from the from the diaphragm. You know, the way you would play the saxophone. Part, um, part of it is that my monitor is so loud, so I'm going to turn that off. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's cool. uh, You know, sometimes they'll they'll put the bass in in the in the subs in the PA, and it'll sound like the bass <laughs> is coming from everywhere in the room, of, except for my amp and. And it For makes sure. me so gun shy. It's like, no, 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 no. Please turn all that off. I need to hear. I need to feel like it's coming from the stage. And, you know, if you want to fill it in from there, that's fine. But so, cool. yes, that's a thing. Cool. Um, so so uh, you settle on LSU. You go uh, from from outside of Hendersonville to to LSU. Now, now just because you were you loved uh you know roots music uh jazz are you trying to get close to new orleans or i did have an affinity for new orleans my my dad and i had been coming down here as as for as long as i can remember he's from birmingham alabama it's about halfway to new orleans from from where i grew up in north carolina and so we'd very often make the trip down after visiting family in uh, birmingham but actually um that has nothing to do with why i went to school here i uh 
um, very small high school, you know, graduating class of less than a hundred. And, um, my high school band director was very close with Linda Morehouse, who was at the time the assistant band director at LSU. And she did a clinic at my high school at the time. I didn't know that that part of a professor's job is recruitment, just like an athletic coach or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I didn't know that. And, uh, she took me and, and the other sort of star student, so to speak at our high school and just went, you know, full on uncle Sam on us. You know, I want you <laughs> to come audition for me at LSU and I was sold, man. I mean, that's all I needed for to, to get attention from from someone that to me was a very big deal at that time. You know, I I, uh, I came down and auditioned for the saxophone professor and, and band director there, and uh, that was that. And I'm I'm glad I did. Um, turned out to be a, the right place for me, although it was more or less blind luck. Yeah, well, that's that's great. And so uh, I was interested that you know you, you actually have a master's degree in in uh, jazz performance, but your undergrad is in classical saxophone. Yeah, I mean, just just another example of me not knowing what the hell I was doing and kind of lucking into a good thing. Um, once you play the Glazunov, what do you do? What's hey, what is there to man, do as a? I'm as impressed. A- as, a, as, a, as a classical saxophone player. I mean, uh, well, like, that's the thing, you know, that's just kind of what I knew. And that's what LSU did at the time. There really was no jazz program there at all. At least there wasn't a major. There was a small department, you know, we had a huh. jazz ensemble, but you couldn't major in jazz studies at the time. There was really? no master's program, nothing. And I mean, you're a young man. That's, that's not so long ago. You could probably back off the mic a little bit from where you are now. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so surprised they didn't have a, a jazz program that, as a saxophone player could major in it. That's an interesting history. Yeah. I mean, they, they very much were looking, I think if I understand the history of the LSU school of music to distance themselves from new Orleans and new Orleans culture. And oh, to that's create, yeah, yeah. That's a great idea. Huh? <laughs> it, yeah. And, and, and part of the legacy of Huey Long is that obsession with opera and high culture. And so that's what they prioritized at LSU and still prioritize their opera program is world-class their classical music, uh, program recruits from all over the world and at the moment i still don't think they have a bachelor of music in jazz studies they have bachelor of arts and they have master of music and even that's quite recent um i i remember i remember their opera program you're, you're right it's it's highly recognized all over the place oh, yeah. uh, they actually played a halftime show for one of the football games oh i didn't know that yeah it's true okay all right. <laughs> so, you know, my my teacher, uh, my, my piano professor, Dr. Willis Deloney, who I'm still close with, he did his undergraduate degree at, at Baton Rouge back in the 80s or 70s. And uh, and if they heard he says if they heard you practicing jazz in the practice rooms, they'd kick you out. Wow. You're taking up space that we could use for, for legit music. You know what I mean? Oh. So huh. it's, it's been a long, slow change. It was oh. good for me. And as you were kind of implying, Renee... I don't really know where that career path takes you if you don't want to be a college professor, you know. Classical saxophone degree? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a beautiful discipline, but it's just, and it dawned on me, like, it's not really where my heart's at. And so I, after, after I finished my, my undergraduate, I I took a teaching job. I I did this program called Teach for America in New York City. Hmm. I taught middle school special needs in a, in a pretty rough and tumble uh, middle school in um, in Brooklyn, uh, right between Bed-Stuy and Fort Greene. Totally quit playing saxophone, just didn't really know what I was doing. Hmm. Um, and so when I 
But I had already formed this identity, even though I wasn't really aware of it, as a musician. I mean, I had pretty much quit playing altogether after a couple of years in New York, but I would still introduce myself to people like, hey, I'm Brad, I'm a musician, I play saxophone, and that was 100% not true. And I think, you know, that kind of disconnect between your personal identity and what you actually do with your day-to-day life isn't really sustainable. Right. Um, so I came back to LSU and they had just started. I reached out to my old teacher and asked him advice. I had auditioned for a couple cruise ship gigs. I didn't really know what I was going to do. And I asked him for advice on where to go to graduate school. And he said, well, you could go here or you could go here. Or we're starting a brand new Master of Music Studies or a Jazz Studies program here at LSU. And we would love for you to be one of the first students to go through it which was nice because I didn't have to audition. I was in no shape to audition anywhere. I hadn't played in, at that point, three years. Now, why was uh, that? Well, I'm curious. Why, you know, some, someone who's so dedicated, such such an obvious natural well, musician, what, why, why didn't, I mean, just because it took so much time to work yeah. in New York and you didn't have time to play? I mean, I thought I was going to be award-winning you know, middle school teacher by day and taking the music scene by storm at night. And that's, in hindsight, that's crazy. You know, that's just (laughs) such an intense way of life, being a a school teacher in a troubled school, teaching special needs, and for all kinds of reasons. A, it's hard, and B, I mean, I just, it was so important to me, you know. Like, I hate to sound like a cliche, but like these kids, I felt like, right or wrong, the, I was helping shape these kids' lives. And so no, you were. really seriously put the horn in the case and didn't really even think about it until I had a chance to come up for air. Wow, interesting. And at that point, it's like, no, no, no. Like, I really thought, like, I just felt like this life in music, I was pretty close friends with Simon Lott, who's also from Baton Rouge. Renee, I know you know Simon really Sure, well. yeah, yeah. He's former, been on the former podcast, guest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Love Simon. So I knew Simon and he was living in New York at the time and he was very encouraging, you know, like, man, you should move to New Orleans, like you should play music. And I just thought that was a pipe dream. But I thought that I just needed to give it an honest shot. So like when I made the decision to come back down to Louisiana, in my head, it was like, okay, cool. I need to give this a real 100% shot, like making a life in music, making a living at it and fail at it and move on with the rest of my life. Like, that's really what I thought. You know? So you went back to LSU for this jazz program, or you went to New Orleans? I went to LSU, and I had I was already splitting time before I was done with my first year at LSU, because I just knew Baton Rouge ain't where it's at for what I was looking to do, and New Orleans was. Right. So you're coming down here, and who do you start to play with first in New Orleans? Where do you, where do you, uh, you get your first exposure? So I, I lucked out. It's such a... I mean, I guess you, anyone can look at their life this way, but but as a as a, I look at it as kind of a funny series of of coincidences that I didn't plan at all and that worked out mm-hmm. well. When I was in when I started my master's degree at LSU, Jeff Albert, the great trombonist, mm-hmm. um, was a doctoral student there. He was doing a degree in like computer music and experimental technologies and music, but so he you know Jeff's always game to make music and he played in like the the big band and a small combo with me. And he, like Simon was very encouraging, you know, like, Hey man, you know, you should come, come down and hang out. I'll introduce you to people. And he gave me a, um, a slot performing some of my own music at open ears, which, which I'm sure you guys remember the great creative music series that used to be every Tuesday night upstairs at the blue Nile. Right. And, um, he just, you know, he heard me take a solo in, in class one time and grabbed me after. I was like, 
I need to give you a date at Open Ears. You need people need to hear you. And, nice. Uh, most of the people I met at first, I met I met through that. I'm very I'm very fortunate to to uh, have met people in the creative community. And then, as as you guys know, the way that I have found the music scene to work here is that everyone's got their hands in a bunch of different stuff. So half the people I met that were doing the way out stuff on Tuesday night were also playing straight ahead or we're playing in rock bands or we're playing R&B or whatever. And so I, I it, it was more than just meeting kindred spirits in that sort of creative spectrum. It was just meeting great musicians that were all across the spectrum. Right. Now, did you and I actually play a, a one or two Jimmy Maxwell gigs together? That- oh, I forgot all about that. Yes, we did. <laughs> okay. I all right. That, that's that. the first time we played together. It was uh, some, some of those Mardi Gras balls. And uh, I, I used to love doing those things. Everybody complains about them, but I, I always had a ball on them. You know, I thought... I- Man, I thought it was a great window into a culture that I knew nothing about. I mean, I know, and 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 that you have no desire to, except just as a <laughs> curiosity. You know, it's like exactly. Jesus. This is how rich people live. They're so exactly. petty and small. Yeah. <laughs> All of those things. Yeah, I went to college with Robert, Jimmy's son, who runs the operation now. Oh yeah, yeah, Robert. Uh, yeah, man, Robert does a bang up job running that band too. Man, I, He's I really. Great. Yeah, yeah, no, he's as a conductor and running all those balls. He's he's uh he's really really top he, notch. Um, yeah, he he uh uh started offering me those when I was still, you know, up in Baton Rouge cuz they're, you know, they were looking for yeah, you know, they got a million of those things. They're always sure, looking for yeah, spots to fill. So Yeah, they'll they'll have two and three bands going at I, a time. I think Jimmy, I think Jimmy hated book and personnel. So that was the first thing he turned over to Robert is, like, "Can you find a sax player?" You know. Right, so. right, right. Well, so uh, so you're down here. You you fall in with uh, what other bands like Johnny Sketch? Uh, you do some playing with uh, Colin Lake, the great Colin Lake, um, Honey Island Swamp Band. Um, yeah, and and you you're doing that for a few years. Then you you wind up on the the Sturgill Simpson Band. It's a guy I love. How, now, how do you? I do too. Uh, how how does that happen? It was a recommendation. Um, you know, the guy who recommended me for it kind of asked, like he said, I could sort of tell people if I wanted to, but maybe not to broadcast it. So this is literally broadcasting. Maybe I shouldn't mention his name, but fellow saxophone player and somebody I really looked up to, Mm -hmm. you know, used to show up to gigs he was on and sit in and, and, uh, sort of get it handed to me, so to speak. But, um, super encouraging, encouraging dude. And, uh, I remember the night I had kind of decided that I wanted to move on from Johnny sketch and open myself up to some other just whatever came next. And I was playing this gig in Baton Rouge, uh, you know, Oregon trio gig till midnight at the time. My girlfriend lived in Baton Rouge and I really just wanted to stay there and go home and crawl into bed with her and crash. But I knew that this guy, this mentor of mine was playing at the Maple Leaf and I just felt like I should go down there and show my respect and hang and sit in. And so I packed my stuff up and got in the stupid car and drove down the stupid I-10 and got to the Maple Leaf and sat in and sounded awful. I mean, <laughs> awful. And uh, and and then, you know, got off stage and we had a couple beers and me, he was telling me some stories about one of the bands he was working with. And I just remember saying like, man, I would love to do something like that. And he said, in my experience, you know, that stuff, that stuff comes your way when it's, when it's time. And it wasn't two weeks later that I got this random text from him about, Hey man, how would you like to put together? No, he said, who would you get on trumpet and trombone for Sturgill Simpson? And my response in my head was who I never heard of Mm -hmm. that guy. So I looked it up 
on on Google and all I, I didn't even listen to the music. I just saw that he was playing on Conan uh, that he had played on Conan O'Brien and I thought I'd like to play on Conan O'Brien. Hmm. So I texted yeah. this guy back a couple names and about a month later uh I got a phone call from Sturgill and that was pretty much it. Well, you know, I, I discovered Sturgill at uh, Jazz Fest one time, and I was playing later on that day, but I got there early and was walking around seeing some different acts. And, uh, you know, it was one of the, the bigger stages, but early in the day, and I, I heard something from a distance, like the, a guy singing, like, Jesus, who is that, man? It sounds like, you know, a 100-year-old country singer. Uh, you know, that, that <laughs> yeah. classic voice, man. And, and I start walking closer and closer and closer to it, and it's like a like a five-piece band or something, you know, like uh, just he's uh, Sturgill's playing acoustic guitar, bass drums, uh, pedal steel, just very stripped down. But man, the guy was so heavy. I was like, who, who the fuck is this, man? Oh, yeah. And so great and, and such presence. And then, you know, uh, some a year later or something, I see he's got like this big soul band and that's the band that you were leading the horn section for. Yeah. Yeah, he he was I can't say enough good things about working with him just as a human being and, and also as a musician. Yeah. You know, I, I feel the same way you did. There's something about the way he presents his music with such conviction that it almost doesn't matter what he's doing because the stuff we did was probably pretty different than what you heard, at least stylistically. Yeah, yeah. And but, I dug that too. The the soul country thing, man. It, it, yeah, it was fucking great, man. Yeah, it, he's he's a very genuine I mean it's a genuine genuine you know artist with a capital a right um and you know he he we built that whole show up we had 16 days of rehearsal in nashville which is crazy but and broke down all his old songs and rearranged them and came up with horn parts and breakdowns and and then of course you know all his new music that already had horn parts written in them um and we we burned that to the ground you know yeah (laughs) uh, went all over europe all over canada all over the u.s and then and did the whole late night circuit. I mean, we did all of it and it really wasn't that long. It was about a year and a half. We did, I mean, Conan and Colbert and Fallon and uh, Seth Meyers and The Daily Show and SNL and then the Grammys. And everyone wow. was just talking about how it's the greatest thing they'd ever heard. And that's the moment when he decided, all right, cool. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and, and let the horn section go i mean we're still friends he's used me on a couple of recording sessions but uh uh and let his lead guitar player go stripped it all down and uh did something different which is yeah. just as convincing and just as good well you know sometime after that band uh had stopped playing i i was on uh, saturday night live i think it was saturday night live and uh uh, maybe it was like uh, Zach Brown or something, and Sturgill mm-hmm. was playing lead guitar, and I'm like, "Fuck, man, he's a really good lead guitar <laughs> player too." <laughs> he's like, an actor too. He's like in some Scorsese movie that's going to come out in the next year. God, cool, man. Flowers of the Moon, something. Flowers of the Hidden Moon, or something. Hmm. Okay. So I was in. Uh, I was doing a, a guest artist like clinic type thing at a, a university in Alabama, Jacksonville State. And uh, we had rehearsal and like a little master class. And then we all went out to like the local barbecue joint because that's what you do in Alabama. Mm-hmm. We're sitting there and I'm kind of halfway watching the TV in the corner. And out of nowhere, there's Sturgill Simpson pointing a gun out from the TV because mm. he's in he's in some cop show on CBS or something like that about how a heart attack. Wow. It's like seeing a ghost or something like that. <laughs> Just got that star power, man. People, people want a part of it. Conviction. Yep. 
Well, Manny, um, I'm looking at my cocktail, and uh, it needs some help. What, how about yours? Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, uh, uh, Brad, this is the time of the show where we take a little break. The troubled nation knows the drill. So get yourself another libation, and we'll be right back. with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman, back with our guest, Mr. Brad Walker. Yes, sir. Now, Brad, uh, we've had uh, a variety of sponsors over the, the course of the show, but uh, like everything, we come back to home base and our, our original sponsor, we're back to that, down to uh, Loose Change. It's our, <laughs> our original sponsor. Yeah, right. Loose I've Change. I've got some I can ship in. Okay. Yeah. If you find anything in the couch cushions, uh, <laughs> right? You know, in the uh, underneath the seat of your car, you know. That's where right. mine turns up. Floorboards. Yeah, give it to the Troubled Men podcast because we could use uh, the help. Yes, yes, we have the the PayPal link in the show notes. Uh, PayPal dot me slash Troubled Men podcast. We have the uh, the Patreon page. You know, if you if you if you listen to the show week in and week out. Why don't you, uh, uh, you know, get some skin in the game and, and support the podcast week in and week out, you know, for as little as like $5 a month, you can, uh, you know, send a, a, a troubled man to the microphone to, uh, to, to do a podcast. Do we still have t-shirts? We do still have t-shirts. Yes. The, the, the t-shirt link is, is in the, uh, the Facebook page and in the, uh, the show notes of every, every episode we put out. It's, uh. So yeah, you can get a Trouble Men podcast T-shirt. It's uh, available in all the most popular sizes and colors. And uh, and, and you know. as far as I know, our big sponsor, who was you know uh, hasn't been sponsored, is is getting ready. I think they're getting ready. They've okay. rebranded and stuff. Good. This is what I hear, but right. uh, uh, he's very upset right now because uh, uh, his Steelers lost to my Raiders on Sunday. So. He's kind of upset right now. I, I did see some of that game, man. The Raiders are looking good, Manny. I got to say. Uh, uh, it's, it's only two games. We'll see. Yeah, it's it. only two games. Man, I did watch that uh, Monday night game. That was a that was a hell, hell of a game, man. It was uh, very exciting. <laughs> a lot of thrills and chills there. 
Well, you know, that to me, you know, that's, it, it was Vegas, you know, it's all Vegas, baby. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, so I wanted to give a shout out to, uh, Mr. Tom Evans who, who, uh, supported the cocktail fund, uh, uh, last week. So thank you, Tom. And, and as always, uh, you know, it's a listener supported operation, but, uh, you know, for free, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, subscribe uh, to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts you know review us rate us give us five stars tell your friends about the podcast share the troubled news um that's about it for that so uh back to you mr brad walker and brad you know it's uh, i always see patterns and things or or exceptions to patterns and I'm, I'm realizing that uh you know we've had a bunch of saxophone players on on the podcast, but you're the first person who's a, a tenor saxophone player who still plays primarily tenor. Cause we've had oh. a bunch of guys that are tenor players who play primarily Barry, you know, like, uh, like Steve Berlin with Los Lobos, you know, tenor player, yep. but he plays yep. mostly Barry, uh, you know, okay. Ben Elman with uh, galactic, you know, even, yep. even, uh, 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 Roger Lewis with, uh, the, uh, you know, um, with, with every band with the uh, dirty dozen and a million others. He's, Start off as a tenor player, plays mostly Barry these days. I didn't know that. That's. I was just on the road with with John Groh, who we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. and uh, we hired. What we've been doing is basically, um, you know, I know the music well because I do all his gigs here in New Orleans, and so he's been taking me out on the road. And we've been hiring local horn players to fill out the section. Okay. And so it's often trumpet, but there's one saxophone player he'll use, uh, Eric Lawrence, who people know from Henry, Henry Butler's band mm -hmm. and from Levon Helms's band. And that's exactly his story. Dynamite tenor player, but he's just sort of slotted into this notch where he plays a lot of Barry because he's such a great Barry player. And uh, that is harder to find, I think, than a... It's harder to find a great Barry player than it is to find a, a so what, good tenor player. So when you player, say you know? Barry, what is Barry? The big one. Oh, the big one. Okay. Yeah. Baritone saxophone. Is, oh, is okay. The full name, right. is, everybody calls it Barry is, uh, for short. Oh, okay. Yeah, these guys are... yeah. That's a pretty great list you just ran down. Oh would yeah. You put Joe, would you put Joker Ball in that ter ter in that uh, uh, category? Uh, Joe is a great Barry player. Yeah, Joe Joe gets a, yeah. a, a fantastic Barry sound. Absolutely, but he still he still play, plays primarily tenor. You know. I thought he was still able to get away with that. Yeah. <laughs> Not a, I, mean, I like playing Barry, but I, I don't want to do it all the time. Right. Right. Well, you know, you're also one of the the few guys that I've seen. Uh, anywhere around that can pull off the beard without a mustache look that's uh, <laughs> you know it's like usually you know it's 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 like a fred fred durst you know kind of limp biscuit or or like uh abe lincoln but somehow you know you you pull it off you look like brad walker it's it's, uh, it's my first gig in town i feel like i lucked out because i got to do about a year year and a half with eric lindell it's a great way to meet people and just a great musician to work with he was always telling me to do the opposite he just told oh. me you got to grow a mustache, man. Just ice cold slug right across your top lip. Lady <laughs> well, that's, killer. That's, that's what he, that's, that's his look. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's his look. Right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. He would never let up on that. Right, right, right. Oh, well, you know, uh, yeah, I take that with a grain of salt. Um, well, uh, so, so getting back to your, uh, your, your music career here, uh, 
so you like 2012 you start uh releasing records as a as a leader i know you and and simon lott put out a, a record under the mm-hmm. the uh the the redraw black is that how you say that uh i say i say red red raw black but i don't red care. raw Either black cool. okay yes it's 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 hard to to know how to where where to uh, split the syllables so uh and and that's a very exciting improvisational uh record that y'all put out but then, uh, like a couple of years after that, you start with the the uh, quintet, the Brad Walker quintet, and it's it's uh, more modern jazz uh, records that you're that you're recording, and, and you're you're writing a lot of music. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like it's kind of kind of essentially what I was trying to say earlier, talking about the people I met at Open Years. But I mean, I, I just feel like. It, and I don't know that it's like this most other places, but but here in the city, I've just found that like it, there's nothing wrong with pursuing all of your interests, and all those are interests of mine. Playing in horn sections is something I genuinely love, and I feel like uh, it's something that I've just gravitated towards. But then you know, writing those sort of like modern um, composition oriented pieces on on the last couple of records I've put out, like that's that's a genuine like passion of mine, and I feel lucky to get the chance to do it. And then the stuff with Simon, and there's a solo record, and there's a record with Aurora Nealon and Paul Thibodeau. Those are all improvised. That's the whole deal with that. Is like we, on purpose, we are not creating a plan because we feel like not creating a plan allows us to get to some places that we wouldn't get to otherwise within the structure of a tune. You know, nice. Um, and those are all. I don't know. I just. I just. I. I just. I love that. Like nobody raises an eyebrow that someone would be doing all those things at once. I used to worry actually. Like, man, what if my what if Aaron Wilkinson from Honey Island Swamp Band comes and hears me do my way out stuff at open ears? He's not going to, you know, he's going to think I'm crazy, but that's just not how it works here. He's no, he's dig it. It's great. That's really cool. We should do some of that together. You know? Sure. Yeah. So, you could, yeah. You feel free to do that on the, on the gig. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Brad, Brad, uh, going back to Eric Lindell, I remember yeah. when I first moved here, I was living above the circle bar Mm-hmm. And he was packing them in like every Thursday or Friday night. Did you ever play any gigs with him at the Circle Bar? I did, often during Jazz Fest, but then he would also throw a couple, you know, random Mondays or Tuesdays in there. I right, yeah, he, the Monday nights. It was like Eric, and he would, for Monday night, it was great because it was basically just all locals there and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, okay, so I just wanted to know if you were there because I, I lived there for a few years on the top floor of that bar. And basically, that's what started my downfall. <laughs> that, that didn't start your downfall, man. It's a that good was place a, for that. That was just a stepping stone on the road down. <laughs> yeah, I love those, that place. Those were fun days, though, man. Yeah. There was a little stretch of time when the Blue Nile was being renovated, and so they moved the creative music series over to the Circle Bar for the summer. It was maybe three months or something like that. And that was also the perfect place for that. I just feel like that's the perfect place for just about anything on a smaller scale like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a tremendous loss, man. We, we, we have, have yet to, yeah. uh, to, you know, establish something that's, that's close to that. Well, we'll have to actually be ha- able to have gigs to figure out where the, where that next spot will be here. True. Well, you know, Brad, a, a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, I, I follow you on social media. I see you, you post a lot of like beautiful photographs from the desert or, you know, the, the mountains. Uh, and uh, then I see you, you know, 
talking or writing about the the still small voice of God, you know, which I I've, I always mention that on this podcast. It, you know, it's no, I, that's that's one of my things, and I always say oh. that that's why I love the desert because that's yeah one of the few places you can hear. You know, the God of the Bible is a God of the desert. That's you know all the all the the great prophecies take place in the desert because that's one of the few places that's quiet enough to to be able mm-hmm. to to hear that still small voice of God. Yeah, I agree very much. And, and you seem like a very spiritual, sensitive boy. I, I, you, <laughs> do, I, do I? Do I? Am I right about that? Yeah, I, I feel like I've found some ways to deal with just the just the up and down, you know, instability of a human life period, but certainly of the lifestyle that we lead by tapping into um, ideas like that. You know, and by and by actually by by traveling, that's that's had quite an impact on the way I see the world. It's one thing we get to do a lot as musicians. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I ran across the still small voice idea recently. I was reading a book about Mormonism, but I've been studying um, sort of the basic ideas of Buddhist practice for seven or eight years now. And I found it to be really meaningful and just just sort of a lifeline uh, and and. Uh, a life that just doesn't have a lot of of hard objects to grab onto. You know what I mean? Like sure. every week's different. Every day it's chaos. I love the desert because it's a great place to dump bodies. Sure. I haven't gone there yet, but you never yes. know. Yes, yes. So, 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 uh, d- the the desert offers uh, many possibilities. It's a it's an an open open landscape. Yes, in, in every sense. So you were saying, Brad... Uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, and it's like, you don't have to believe in God as a musician to 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 believe that there's something beyond us that we don't, that aren't necessarily able to express in words. You know, I've had too many experiences performing where I felt like I was able to tap into something that was bigger than just me, or that the group I was with was able to tap into something bigger than just us. So, you know, it doesn't have to be a specific like lineage of religion. It's just like there's just there are just things going on out there and things that we can tap into as artists and performance that are bigger than just us and that I think are hard to explain in rational terms. I mean, I feel like in New Orleans we're we're close to the surface with that stuff. You know? Right. Right. Yeah, it's not about a certain creed or belief system. That you, you you get beyond all that, and you you get to a certain uh, you know universal um, truth. That and I, I like to talk about it like when you're you're playing music and you're you've you're you're losing yourself, and you get to the point where it feels like the music is playing you. Yeah, where you can't even really make a wrong note. You know, you try to play a wrong note, and it still <laughs> it still somehow works out. You know, because because you're in that flow. Yeah, exactly. And and it just has convinced me at least that there's there's something more to what we're doing than just, you know, um speaking our own speaking our own small voice. I don't know, it seems like there's something bigger bigger to it than that. Um and I have I've really found that that there's just something there's something going on here, you know, playing playing places like the Maple Leaf that have real history, you know. Um Right. There's just I mean, I've had projects that started there that we're able to tap into something special and we tried taking it other places and it was just gone. It's just got something to do with being here. Yes. Yes. The divinity of, of, uh, of, of locales. Yes. The, the, the ghosts. Now, uh, d- having spent a bunch of time in new Orleans, you ever get into like Sam Butera, that, that, that strain of, of, uh, of, you know, Italian, uh, you know, 
R&B jazz. That's, that, that'd be a great avenue for you to explore. Yeah, I, I could tap into that more, but I'm somewhat familiar with it. A couple couple friends of mine, Eric Bernhardt, somebody you probably know, is a real scholar of that sort of lineage, so to speak. I've spent a little more time with guys like Lee Allen. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, yeah, it can't go wrong. Yeah, this is so, yeah, it's, you know, it's such a rich, rich uh, uh, firmament here. I mean, I mean, some some of the first people I met when I so when I moved here, I didn't know many names. I knew Mark Mullins and Jason Mingledorf's names because they're on Galactic Records that I had when I was in high school. So I sought those guys out, and I used to go on Mondays to see to see John Grow and Jason mm-hmm. play. And those are the guys who you know, like I remember there was a, they were always super nice, but they they didn't uh, they didn't. Can I curse on this podcast? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't bullshit, you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. uh, they were more than happy to tell me all about what I didn't know, and that was good for me. I remember there was a time I showed up to the Leaf during Mardi Gras, and Jason was out of town, and John sees me out there, and he's just like, you, get up here, you know? <laughs> you can't do Mardi Gras music without, without a horn. And so I get up there, and I don't know none of that stuff. I don't know the melody to Big Chief. I don't know the solo to Mardi Gras Mambo. I never yeah. even heard this stuff before. None uh. of it. So June, June plays all the parts. And I pick him up as we go. And after the end of the set, John, I mean, John was mad. Like John was, I mean, he wasn't like pissed off at me personally, but he was just, I remember him saying. He was like, hurt as a New Orleans musician. Uh, <laughs> well, he's just like, look, kid. That's what he said. Um, like you want to, you want to go play jazz or whatever. Great. Go do that. But like, you want to live in my world. Go learn this song. Go learn this record. Go get Dr. John's gumbo tomorrow. Go. Do, do you know who Lee Allen is? You don't know, you know, like go learn this nice same way jason was uh yeah that's uh, great advice man that's that's what you need to hear you know yeah like that's being nice you know what i mean yes that's a kind being an asshole would have been to just say hey yeah kid you sound great don't ever come back right (laughs) sure (laughs) yeah oh man you know there was a there was a quarantine quote that i i read from you on facebook and i'm I'm a smart ass and i I had a great retort but i thought i don't want to do that in public so oh no so yeah so here it is it was something to the effect of you 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 said like uh you know it'd been going on for i mean this was last summer we'd been locked down for three months or something we didn't you know and you said uh Wow, I've had so much time to practice since we haven't been playing any gigs. I feel like I'm really making some breakthroughs. And and I read that and I thought, and I wanted to say, yeah, imagine how well we'll all be playing if we don't get to play for a year. I know, right? That wore off quick. <laughs> the excitement you know, of not having work, yeah, it didn't last long. Yeah, yeah, because it, it, you know, it, it assumes well. Really, what we're doing is about math and solving problems, and and ignores the idea that what we're doing is is a spiritual thing. It's a communal thing, you know. That that uh, yep. you know the 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 longer it is before we get to do this communally, the harder it's going to be to 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 retune all those neurotransmitters or, or, you know, the, the, the antennae. When in my infinite ignorance, I ignored all evidence to the contrary and really thought that all that was going to be over relatively quickly. You know, I thought, especially at first, like, Oh, you know, this is, this is all right, actually. Like, you know, month, month and a half, it could be good for us. Yeah. That would have been great. huh? Yeah. I just (laughs) had no idea how, uh, 
how interminable this whole thing would be. It still ain't over. Yeah, no, no, nobody did. Nobody does. That's that's when I was talking about how this this uh, grinding, uh, you know, ebbing and flowing um, stump grinding. The stump grinding uh, morning. The uh, yes, the you know the the stages of, of of mourning that we all continue to go through. But you know, yeah. keep our heads up and look. I, I was thrilled to see you guys uh, with you guys up there with. John Grow playing the Northeast, playing playing the what the the Borderlands Festival. Yep. yep. Looked like the old days, man. Yeah, and 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 that was supposed to be a six day tour, and it turned into a one day, you know, one off because all the other stuff on that tour, or at least one of the other anchor dates, got canceled, and it wasn't feasible to make the rest of it happen. So right. it's still still tenuous. I really respect John and just his refusal to take no for an answer, <laughs> just his insistence on getting out there and following his dream or mission or whatever you want to call it, because that's what John, that's who John is. But yeah, man, John's a bull. Hasn't man. been easy. Yeah, puts his head head down and and uh, and, and keeps keeps grinding forward. I uh, mean, like a lot of people, you know, he had a brand new record scheduled to come out a couple of weeks before Jazz Fest right. last year. Right, and that's turned out to be the worst timing of all time. Well, yeah, all what time, you gonna do? Not good. No. Nope. Well, sp- speaking of new records, so uh, during this, uh, I think this was recorded during this uh, the the pandemic. This uh, Brad Walker plus extended. Uh, so it's a, a beautiful um, uh, performance film. You guys uh, recorded it live in the Esplanade Studios, close to Manny's house, right there on uh, Esplanade and, and Broad. And tell tell us about that project. Well, that's you know you probably heard some people talk about things that they managed to do during the shutdown that they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise, or just wouldn't have done otherwise. And that's essentially what this was. I had lots of time and no money, so I sat down and wrote a grant for the first time. And it's oh. not a huge grant, but I wrote one to the Jazz and Heritage Foundation and also wrote one for the uh, Threadhead Cultural Foundation. And the Threadheads awarded us um, a, a solid good sum of money that was enough to get us in that studio and pay for some of the production costs. And we just had all this time, man. Like we were awarded the grant, which we're super grateful for in mid-November. And we just got together either weekly or bi-weekly all the way through until mid-January, which is something none of us would have been able to do under normal circumstances. We couldn't do it now. We've got, got too much stuff going on. We got together, man, we had a rehearsal on New Year's Day at 11 in the morning. And we were all happy to be there, you know. Yeah. Um, and and uh, it just sort of gave us a chance to to put more of ourselves into this project, and also to get it, get it to happen in like a way shorter timeline. Um, but um, two two original compositions from all four of us, so eight tunes recorded over two days at Esplanade, and we made a, a hour and twenty minute length film about it, and it'll be a record uh, probably in January or February is when that'll come out. Nice man, that's really beautiful playing, and and of course, what an amazing room, and everything sounds great in there. I mean, Misha's another person who took the pandemic and made something new out of it, if if not better. But I'd say in his case, maybe better because he he just took on, you know, he he took one look at what was going on at streaming being the new way to reach audiences for who knows how long, and just took it on full tilt. You know, it's got 
thousands of dollars worth of cameras now and now has a whole crew of camera operators and film editors and like that's just a service they offer now forever because yep. of what happened last year that's we're talking about uh misha kash uh great georgian uh, uh sound engineer uh proprietor of uh, esplanade studios yeah it's a brilliant brilliant guy and, and really made made the most out of that just devastating situation for anyone in our business but yeah, yeah, I've I've done a few uh, sessions over there uh, during pandemic. You know, wearing a mask, we're all separated, but uh, right. you know, sounds great. <laughs> Everybody's playing great, great players, great yeah. equipment. Yep, got the the board from uh, from uh, Donald Fagan's Nightfly. Is that what that is? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's the, <laughs> that's the board. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant guy. One of the hardest working people I know for sure. So, uh, so Brad, we're kind of on the, the downslope of the podcast here. So we're yep. wrapping up. So what, what bright notes now, sometimes I've, I've thrown this to people, uh, recently and, and they, they come out with a story that ends in death. So do you have a story that, that ends in something more uplifting than that or a, a thought, <laughs> a, a, a glance towards the horizon, something that will inspire the troubled nation? I mean, I don't know if you'd agree because you're out there playing as much as anyone. I mean, you're, you're such an important part of this music scene. But I felt like when things started to come back in February and March, it was pretty hopeful. You know, I mean, I felt like like just that whole act of music making was, was more important in terms of what we were able to offer, offer other people and then in terms of what they, you know, would kind of offer us back. And then that kind of got shot in the foot by the resurgence of COVID. Um, but I, I, I felt like there was a nice glimmer, glimmer of hope for, for this like artistic and musical community in the spring. And so I'm hopeful that that will be the case when we start to reopen back up again, whenever we get the chance to do that, it might even be this coming spring, but yeah, I found yeah, that yeah. to be a pretty helpful time. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I, I, I love that. You know, you're not, not making any promises you can't keep just, uh, just the optimism. Yeah. That's enough. And yeah, look, I'm, I have a, a rehearsal with Susan Cowsill tomorrow. Yeah. We're playing in Baton Rouge with a great band, you know, uh, oh, that's great. you know, yeah, just, just playing gigs and you know, this, everybody, you know, for sure get vaccinated and, uh, you know, we can all go, you know, have a, a vampire orgy again. Some, sometimes my dad will be very impressed that I know somebody, and you're one of those people, Renee. Like, Your dad? You, you know he, you know he plays with the iguanas, right? I'm like, you know, I did know that. Uh, your dad said that. Yeah. How does your dad know who the fuck I am? <laughs> he just does. He's a he's a fan. He loves the iguanas, and he uh, he does his research. He's because wow. he's an AARP member, Renee. <laughs> <laughs> every once in a while like I, i'm one of those people who still keeps up with their website even though i don't think anyone other than my dad checks it but i'm glad he does so i keep it up and every once in a while i get a phone call from him you know i remember i put on there that i was opening for the rads with uh for the radiators with johnny mm -hmm. sketch and he called the next day he's like you know who that is right nice yeah i do <laughs> yeah, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Your, so dad, he's a fan. your dad and i are probably about the same age actually <laughs> he he mentioned that that Susan showed to me, he's like, sounds like a great band. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, might have to get your dad on the podcast coming up here. That's, that's the best. You would, you would dig talking to him. Nice. Nice. You know, speaking, time. speaking of fathers, mm -hmm. I re, uh, just, just this past weekend, I was thinking about my dad, you know, he passed away years ago, All right. but I remember when I was a young man, 
he uh, came into my room. I think I was 16 or 17. Or he said, Manny, if you keep masturbating, you'll go blind. And I said to him, I said, I'm over here, Dad. <laughs> I love nice. that one, Manny. It's, I, I didn't yeah. see it coming. Again, I didn't see it coming. Um, uh, thank you so much, Brad. Fantastic. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Brad. Thank you. As always in the Trouble Nation, we like to say, trouble never ends. What? <laughs> I said, trouble never ends, but the struggle continues. Okay, good night. Thank you, Brad. Thanks, guys. Pleasure. Good night.